Welcome to Remotely Possible, a podcast about the people shaping the future of work. My name's Adam Riggs, and I'm the CEO of Framable, a software company that's improving distributed work for Microsoft Teams and Outlook users. We're always looking for leaders, technology innovators, and software partners who might be a good fit as a guest on the podcast. If you have a story to share about creating and maintaining a highly collaborative environment for either hybrid or fully remote teams, We'll share details at the end of each episode of this podcast so you'll know how to get in touch with us. And now, let's dive into our conversation about how real people are making the future of work more successful. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Remotely Possible. Today, our guest is Sabine Malik. She's the Vice President of Global Government Affairs and Public Policy at Rapid7. Sabine, welcome. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. Sabine, please start off by telling our listeners about your current role at Rapid7, your team size and uh, distribution, and uh, and also, uh, you know, a few of your previous roles. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thanks, Adam. And um, so, yeah, so I joined Rapid7 um, back in March and uh, Vice President of Global Government Affairs and Public Policy. Um, So we are building our team as we speak. And so uh, having only uh, started five months ago, working a lot with an already established team of five, um, where we're basically trying to think about where we all distributed. And right now, we are all across uh, the United States, and we have one person that's in Europe at the moment. So um, between the four time zones, or three time zones in the United States, and then um, in Amsterdam and in London. So uh, that's how we are currently um, uh, uh developed and distributed. Um, But I see some changes coming in the future, in the near future, uh, which I can talk more about. Um, And then prior to this role, I was at the head of government affairs and public policy at Thumbtack. And uh, again, um, Thumbtack uh, very much is built around this idea that uh, remote first. Um, So even pre-pandemic, the idea was to think about uh, this model and um, how are we going to think about remote first work um, in in an environment where so many more tools were um, available for folks to be able to work um, not only across um, time zones, but really uh, across different um, operational capacities and what does that look like to bring that all together. Um, And then prior to that, I was a senior policy advisor at Google. And uh, could you tell uh, our listeners what industries Rapid7 and Thumbtack are in? Yeah, so um, Rapid7 is a cybersecurity provider. Um, We do uh, the gamut of both um, managed detection and response, um, endpoint detection response, all the way up until cloud um, services and response. And uh, Thumbtack is a marketplace, two-way marketplace for people to get services um, uh, provided to them. Excellent. So. When you think back to the last, you know, five, six, seven years, when you when you think back to how you conducted business in 2018, 2019 versus now, uh, what are the biggest uh, lasting differences between your day to day working on a uh, distributed team now and uh, what it was like back then? Yeah, so when I think about 2018, 2019, to me, the three things stick out. Number one was an office. Number two was a lot of planes. 
And number three was a lot of movement in terms of day-to-day, just getting in the car, getting on a train, being able to go to the office, doing a lot of meetings. So it felt like there was just a lot of movement. And uh, and you were in the office five days a week at that time? Correct, yeah. Okay. Um, when you think forward, uh, maybe six months or a year, you know, based on your hiring plan that you that you alluded to um, yeah. for Rapid Seven, like describe the 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 daily reality that you're you're working toward, given the distributed nature of your team. Yeah, so I would say that there are three things that I put at the forefront of mind. Number one is that being a global government affairs and public policy shop, you know, we are by nature looking at. Um, some of the areas where we are located and we're located and have over 20 offices. So really, I have to think about the work that's done in terms of day to day. What are we actually doing, which is providing, you know, windows in, windows out um, uh, services to the business on what's happening on the ground in all of these markets. And then the second thing is, is that obviously that information is gleaned from, you know, our stakeholders now more and more, um, both offline and online. And the third part is that there's still a lot of work that has to be built to be uh, developed in a market where you're still relatively new. And what does it look like to build that trust with folks? So a lot of folks are still more or less thinking about not only just their internal teams, but then a lot of external stakeholders who don't have all of the, the sort of uh, capabilities that we do sometimes in the private sector of being able to jump on um, a call in an office because either their office may or may not allow those kinds of uh, capabilities, or they may have to think a little bit strategically about like where and why they're having those calls and meetings. So I think for us, we're unique um, as just within an organization, but I think anybody who does this work, uh, thinking about kind of the stakeholders and then how do you mimic that in the services that you're providing for your company and then being able to take what your stakeholders are saying um, and meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2018, 2019 at Google, I, I assume that your your stack was a, a com- completely a, a Google stack with, uh, you know, especially with um, Google Meet for video calls whenever you had to have them. And it sounds like oh, yeah. that was not that common. Um, what What is the stack that you use now? Um, it's a combination of, of things. So, you know, we do use uh, Google products. Um, we also use um, Slack. And then we have some bespoke uh, products that we use um, for various different uh, pieces of different teams in terms of being able to access documents, um, we have an internal library that we use um, that's built on, um, I forgot the exact uh, thing that is supporting the uh, uh, update of all of the volume of documents, but more or less it's an inbuilt um, uh, library that we have that houses a lot of those things and those tools. So Atlassian is another one of um, the things that we use a lot. So I would say, you know, we kind of have three different pieces. One is the in-house parts that are built on top of some of the stuff that we already have acquired. And so that keeps up to date by folks in the company. Then um, we use G Suite and Google products for uh, a lot of our sort of external stuff. And then there's probably more in terms of the internal um, overall communications, um, mostly Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have seen the news that uh, about four weeks ago, Verizon announced that it was gonna shut down uh, Blue Jeans, which was a video meeting provider that they purchased back in 2020. Uh, they yeah. spent $400 million on it uh, at the time, um, and now they're writing it off. So I just wanted to know, how important do you think video communications are going to be 
to your ability to interact with, you know, your remote team? How often is your video turned on versus, say, just audio or a screen share? And just generally, like, how, how do you think about the importance of uh, video calls in uh, in getting work done with remote colleagues right now? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's it is it is the main uh, way to get work done, right? I mean, in terms of being able to discuss items, to be able to generate ideas, I would say it's still the predominant. However, what I have found is that, you know, in some ways, I find more people now will shut the video component off and just want the audio component. So even though we're using Google Meet, or sorry, Microsoft Teams or Google Meets, or you're using um, Zoom, or you're even using the Slack um, version of, of video and uh, audio huddle, a lot of folks are starting to turn the cameras off and say that audio and being able to just hear the audio is actually better for them to be able to facilitate ideas, to be able to not get distracted by what's happening on the video screen itself. And I personally don't feel like I need to see everybody when I'm I'm doing what uh, I need to do, which a lot of times is, you know, we're, we're discussing concepts and um, information and deliverables. So I'm fine with that. But at the same time, I have found that there is a little bit of a difference between, you know, consistently building trust in teams and having video on and off and everyone understanding what the rules are as to why someone may turn their their video off. Um, so that they're participating, and what are the norms around that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You you mentioned trust, one of my favorite topics when it comes to remote work, because I think a lot of um, a lot of uh, managers and executives are uh, rightly pointing out that it, it's not necessarily as easy to create and maintain trust among colleagues when they're remote. It, it's not impossible either. So. What are some of the ways that you create and maintain trust among remote colleagues uh, these days? Yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, not to wonk out for a minute, but I do think that it's important to think about, you know, what is trust at the end of the day and what are we actually looking for? And, and then thinking about how do you continue to use the tools and yourself in terms of your ideas to build it. So to me, I think like, you know, when I think about it, I think about three elements, which is competency, integrity, and goodwill. And I think part of, um, you know, for a team that has a lot of external stakeholders, you know, trust is built by meeting them where they build trust. But internally, I think it's more about how do you share uh, with your teams kind of the ideas around each one of those as a norm setting behavior where you're saying, you know, how are we building our team's competency? Where are we building it? Where are you all getting that information? And do we all have access to that? I think integrity is more about how do you do your work and, and sort of being able to be available for those who are not available in the same time zones that you are, but that you're constantly in communication. And then goodwill is understanding that, you know, when you're already among different time zones, you're working in remote places that, you know, your circumstances uh, may not always be the same every single day. And that, you know, sort of making sure that someone's going to be able to pop on to video or audio in exactly the same way every single day is not there. And But as long as they're showing up when they need to, to me, that shows that you're um, being able to show that goodwill and understand that, you know, when you're showing up um, uh, using these tools that you have to have some level of uh, benevolence in that, um, in the way that they're being used. And, you know, you can't control your environment all the time. 
Yes, that's true. Um, I want to talk about um, the difference between uh, scheduled and unscheduled interactions. You know, most people who um, who work well remotely or in an office, um, they are for the most part focused on their calendar, right? They, I mean, people are busy, and in order to make sure you have time with a certain colleague, um, usually have to schedule it. Um, but it does seem like one of the differences between in-person work and remote work is how many or how few serendipitous interactions there are uh, when you're re working remotely as opposed to working in person. So what have you found in the last few years um, about the frequency of unscheduled interactions uh, and also about their importance? You know, do, do people call you uh, if they see you're not in a meeting? Uh, what's the first thing they'll do? Will they call? Will they send a text and then it escalates into a call sometimes? Or just t tell us a little bit about uh, about how that unfolds for you. Yeah. So I would say that, again, um, you know, in terms of the teams themselves, I think it sort of starts with mostly folks text now. I think that's kind of the first place that it usually starts. And then it's a question of, you know, can you find some other way to be engaged in that same interaction? Or does it really then sort of lend itself to say, I'm only going to do video, therefore we have to find another time and I have to find a camera and a laptop that, you know, or at least a phone that, you know, has a, a good connection enough to be able to do it. Or is it enough of a sort of, hey, quick question, wherever you are, um, even if you're out, you know, stepped out to like grab something and that mm -hmm. you can take the call, um, you can just kind of be there just like you would pop over to someone's workstation or, you know, just like you would sort of see them maybe in the, in the cafeteria um, or maybe in a micro kitchen or something. But I will say that I think that, you know, part of the conversation around sort of these serendipitous or, you know, ideas that, you know, you're just sitting randomly and someone just, you know, comes into a booth or, you know, stops by your workstation and, you know, you, you have like this amazing idea. It's, I find that to be, I think, um, a little bit uh, lionized or sort of this, this mental model that I'm not sure most folks are operating that way. I think a lot of folks have really specific times where they're thinking about some big questions. And when you're thinking about those big questions, you know, you can sort of say to your team, hey, you know, these days or, you know, during these weeks, we're really kind of wrestling with this big issue. And will you make it, will you make it part of the team dynamic so that you can be more available? And that available can look like many things. It could be that your, you know, your cell phone is next to you or that, you know, you're kind of keeping your um, Slack channel or your video on so that, you know, if someone did want to pop up, um, they're available. But I think you can sort of coordinate that a little better than thinking that, you know, out of the however many days of the year that you're, you know, at your office, that those are happening without any thought of as to how folks are thinking about what it is that is on top of their mind and then sort of randomly having an interaction where if your team has that kind of um, level of engagement where they feel like they can just randomly chat and you know kind of um, are in interactions where they're having you know that sort of level of we're not talking about the problem at hand but you know we're sort of ideating around it um, that can happen various different ways. So I I think that it it's it has to be a little bit more um, structured than I think just assuming that it's going to happen just because you all happen to be in the same space and it'll randomly happen. Yeah, yeah. I 
I agree with what you said. And at the same time, I, you know, I think about, for example, you know, the, the famous, uh, amount of effort and design that um, Pixar and Apple, uh, later Apple, have put into, you know, trying to make those kinds of interactions, you know, easier and more frequent. Um, but when you work for a, a huge organization where, for the most part, everyone is physically not going to be with you, you know, you, you, where you're collaborating with people who are maybe some, some majority of them are not going to be anywhere near you, no matter what the office configuration is, then then I think, um, yeah, that's a counterpoint. That's that's reasonable. Um, yeah, because even if you think about like campuses, right? Like, I mean, yes, Apple, you know, kind of created a, a campus where everyone is 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 more accessible. I think that was very much at the core of the design. But I think if you sort of look at most offices, it's sort of like you outgrow one space and then you just grab the next space and the next space. And I. I don't know by default, once you sort of create a, a, a natural barrier between time and space, even though you're on one campus, does it really mean that people are walking to the different buildings? And and in my experience as far, that just doesn't happen without any kind of more thoughtful rationale for why folks should take that extra step outside of, you know, their work area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the... Um... One of the criticisms of distributed work, you know, uh, remote work, is that it makes it harder for people to be at their creative and innovative best, you know, that there's something about being physically together that that somehow nurtures that or makes it easier. Um, and yet uh, we have to, pretty much all of us, uh, have to be creative and innovative um, and have to do so with colleagues that, you know, like I said, are not necessarily physically nearby. So what are some things that you do um, with your current team to try to encourage creativity and innovation um, when you're not physically together? So, Adam, I think in terms of, uh, to be honest, I mean, creative and innovation in some ways, I think, is is really about how are you thinking about the problems that are in front of you? And I, I think for some folks that creativity is assumed to be, you know, um, somehow really about something that is going to spontaneously show up. But I think creativity is allowing the folks that may have a walk that they did that evening and as they're pondering a problem can put those thoughts down and then share it with you uh, pretty quickly, or that there's some responsiveness there. Um, I think that in terms of, you know, thinking about a particular problem, if there's one that's in front of you, you know, what I have found so far in in um, all teams that have done this um, well, and then I think about reflecting it back to the teams that I work with, is that, you know, if there's a place in a space where people are stuck, the question is, are you stuck because the problem isn't being um, um, articulated well and therefore the creativity is not flowing? Or is it more that there needs to be kind of a change of space and time to be able to let people um, think about, you know, the ways in which they let those thoughts flow? And so mm-hmm. I think it's not just about assuming that um, innovation happens in a vacuum, but it's really about like innovation around the problem and innovation about like how you're approaching it? Or are you thinking more about, you know, innovation in the sense of like the way in which your um, team is approaching, you know, what could be the limitations of the tools that you have, and therefore you need to kind of get out of that time and space. It could just be that, 
you know, for whatever reason, as you're articulating things on a whiteboard or you're um, thinking about video is that you're not really maybe even talking to your stakeholder or to your consumer, your customer in a way that they need to be met. And therefore, you're not reflecting that back because you don't have the right tools at hand to be able to think about how they're thinking about the problem. So I think it's a little bit more than just thinking about the tools at hand and really thinking about who and at what point and where are you trying to solve your problem for and what do you need at that moment? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned whiteboards. Do you use yeah. whiteboard software frequently? I, I, I use it um, and I use it more to help to articulate my thoughts. I don't impose it as a way for other people to best articulate their thoughts. Because again, I think one of the things that I'm finding and doing more of is asking folks, what are the best ways that they think about how they come up with creative ideas and where do they capture those? Um, I have found some people still really like to do um, uh, sticky notes and they'll arrange them, you know, wherever they are, and then they'll send a screenshot. And I, I think that that's just as, as good as, you know, not forcing someone to have to use a whiteboard because, you know, we're captured on using a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I personally, um, think that whiteboards are a pretty special category of productivity software. Um, I agree with you that in some cases, uh, just a photo of some sticky notes, you know, could do the trick depending on what, what the goal is. But yeah. um, there is something, there is something limiting about um, more linear formats like spreadsheets and uh and documents where you're writing from left to right and uh and top to bottom for the most part like because things don't always come out in ex exactly the right order and so it's nice to work in a format where you can get them out first and easily reorganize them or expand on them or go deeper on something you know as a second phase i i agree with you adam and and let me just uh, uh highlight that point what i what i'm suggesting is is that to your point about software versus the way that the creative process happens you know physical sticky notes and then being able to move them around tactically um i have begun to appreciate that for some folks even doing that in a in a software capacity and being able to think about linear thoughts is is part of the creative process for them they eventually will end up there but they do like to have a tactile feel around the mm -hmm. idea, sitting with it, sort of looking at it, thinking mm -hmm. about it in sort of a three-dimensional space that I don't think software still has yet. So I've begun to appreciate that a little bit more than assuming um, that sometimes eventually you may end up there to collect the thoughts, mm -hmm. but how those thoughts are generated, um, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't think that a linear piece of software actually captures, frankly, innovation in a way that I think um, a lot of us sometimes need to be able to think through problems from all different angles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, we we probably have time for for two more questions. The 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 first of those two would be talk to us about the differences between synchronous collaboration and asynchronous collaboration. Like on your team and the team you're building and the teams that you've been on recently at Thumbtack and Google. Uh, as well as Rapid Seven, like, do you uh, do you treat synchronous and asynchronous uh, as equals? Are you forced to do so because your team is so distributed, or in what way? Which of those do you lean into? Would you say, and do you how do you think about them differently in in terms of getting getting your work done? You know, just given the reality that people are in different time zones in in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if if you're at the 
early stages of a problem or a strategy. I tend to find that synchronous work tends to work better because what you're truly trying to do is collect ideas and then sort of shape ideas so that everyone understands what is the end goal of executing on, on something. And then in terms of how and why and what the, the things are that are related to the execution, I think actually asynchronous works tends to work a lot better. So I tend to think about sort of articulating a problem and then the solutions to a problem as like two-phased things. One is you're starting to like really think about all the different ideas and collecting them. And I think that putting people in the same time and space to be able to do that, I have found to be highly, highly effective. And then you don't see the frustrations that you would normally see with asynchronous because, you know, you have folks that are sort of coming in at different places and in the documents or in the slide decks and then not having the full context to be able to contextualize all of the different comments. And then what you end up just seeing is a litany of, of sort of comments related to comments around context that I think can't be done in a lot of those asynchronous um, um, tools and in the ways that we capture those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, okay, last question is, um, tell us about your home office setup so for for when you're not working in your physical office or in the in the company real estate for when you're at home um tell us about your hardware or tell us about your your setup uh, that's that's on your desk yeah so um i guess i have to uh, confess something which is uh so i don't do well with a lot of things on my desk so i have tried to pare down um and i love this uh uh uh, photo I saw that showed like a desk from the 1990s to now, um, you know, the 2020s. And it's amazing how many pieces of, of hardware one needed to have at one time. And now mm. um, what you'll find is basically I have a monitor and I have my laptop and I have um, a keyboard. And mm -hmm. that's about it in terms of actual hardware on my desk. Um, you know, I tend to keep a little um, cup with just a highlighter, a pen, um, because sometimes when I am reading something, um, I tend to print. So I have a printer under my desk. It's not on mm -hmm. top of it because um, sometimes I do still like to look at paper, um, especially yeah. when I'm really um, deep diving into something to be able to write those comments in 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 the in the heading. Um, so I do have those things uh, under just to be able to add to sometimes my thought process. You know, you just described my, my setup as well. Uh -huh. <laughs> Pretty much the same. Um, I mean, I, I do have uh, a few pieces of what I call desk art, you know, little uh -huh. little little things that that I like to look at when I'm working. But yeah, for for the most part, it's um it's pretty clean, and I agree with you. It's it's amazing um, how much you get just with a modern laptop. Um, you could say most of what you need. Um, I personally find having a second screen helpful, uh, but I, I have a lot of colleagues that like to uh, single stream it, uh, yeah. as it were, and um, and they don't want any distractions. Like they they just want to you know be looking at and doing one thing at a time. And I I also understand that very well. So um, yeah, but, I, right. Adam, I will say on the single screen versus double screen. You know, I I've had both, and I will say that over time. Um, this might also just be the the sort of ways in which, you know, tabs and other things work in, in the modern context. But I have found that, you know, at some point having the single forces you to sort of also think about how you're using that real estate on your um, screen. Yes, and yes. And it, it makes forces me to prioritize. So yes. weirdly, 
I feel like it makes me focus better rather than thinking, oh, I have three screens, therefore I can work on three different things, but that doesn't happen. So that discipline has forced me to also think about what I put on my screen, which is the thing that I need to work on um, right away. So it helps me prioritize a lot more. Absolutely agree. Sabine Malik, Vice President of Global Government Affairs and Public Policy at Rapid7. We'd love to check back with you in a few months and hear about how how the building out of your team has uh, unfolded. And we thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care. Have a good day. You too. I'm your host, Adam Riggs, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Remotely Possible, the podcast about distributed work and the people who make it possible. Remotely Possible is sponsored by Frameable, a software company with a mission of making virtual collaboration feel as easy as turning around and talking to each other. Learn more at frameable.com. To become a guest on an upcoming edition of Remotely Possible, head over to frameable.com slash podcast and introduce yourself. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show and include the hashtag remotely possible. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it on your social networks and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Your likes, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and to our team. Want to know how Frameable Spaces helps Microsoft Teams and Outlook users collaborate more effectively? Visit our website, frameable.com, or follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.